0: Welcome to Eureka Nerd, I'm Will Davis. April Showers.
1: And I'm Leah Richards, Mayflowers.
0: Because spring has truly come out in force, we can see it hammering down on the pavement outside, but I'm sure it's going to get better sometime soon.
1: Or not, the Great British Summer is what it is.
0: And what it is is not here yet, but what we do have for you right now is some brand new science news. Starting off with some bad news, unfortunately. You know how things aren't doing so well globally, ecologically?
1: Well, I... Like- Species going extinct, habitat being destroyed.
0: Yeah, uh, that but worse.
1: that's, That's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, it seems like that is happening more than we saw coming, according to the latest study from a team of researchers at Columbia University in Biological Conservation Journal.
1: The study has investigated the maps which the International Union for Conservation of Nature uses to describe a species' geographic range for the purpose of developing its red list, which assigns threat status of vulnerable, endangered or critically endangered.
0: It was only late last year that panda bears got moved down from endangered.
1: And the maps are based off mostly species sightings reported by experts, which are then used to draw boundaries. But this study has looked into the ranges included on these maps a little more closely and has found that for the species they looked at, which are all endemic bird species inhabiting the Western Ghats mountain chain of southwest India, and have found that in many cases the picture is worse than we thought it was.
0: So by analysing the data for 18 of these bird species, a team of students working under Dr. Don Melnick were looking at the largest citizen science database, eBird, by referencing data on climate, vegetation, ecology, geophysical attributes of the Western Ghats region, and then putting that across to the distribution of the birds according to the existing data they had, then it seems that 17 of these 18 bird species The maps contain large areas of unsuitable habitat, and have thus vastly overestimated their ranges. By extension, the thread levels, which are correlated to species range size, are probably underestimated, according to Dr. Malnek. So at least 10 of these 18 species are more at risk than is currently being reported. In fact, he continues that, We were extremely surprised by how much the IUCN ranges overestimated what we deem the true ranges to be. In a number of cases, these ranges were overestimated by an order of magnitude. So, bad news for the Western Ghats, I'm afraid.
1: And entirely possibly for many other species around the world who are on the IUCN's threat lists. Melnick does point out that the criteria that the IUCN use for establishing threat levels are excellent, but... We have access to lots of data through citizen science projects like eBird, and if you have data, you should be using it. It's only going to improve your results.
0: Even if that data flies against what you were expecting, as in the case of our next study, which is an interesting spin of some good ecological news, in fact. Potentially
1: good. That's potentially good.
0: Some optimistic ecology news, then. From Philip Taylor, a research associate at the Institute of Arctic and Alpine Research, which has a brilliant acronym of INSTAR, working out of CU Boulder.
1: Interestingly enough, rather than looking at anything Arctic or Alpine, the research is looking at rainforests and predicted responses to climate
0: change. Apparently conventional wisdom has held that forest growth will dramatically slow with higher levels of rainfall, which makes sense for many of the trees and plants that we have certainly in this end of the world, but apparently when it comes to tropical forests, then the inverse is true. Philip Taylor quotes, Our data suggests that a large-scale climate patterns shift in the tropics, some places get wetter and warmer, forests will accelerate their growth, which is good for taking carbon out of the atmosphere, in the way that you know plants do that whole photosynthesis thing.
1: It's probably relevant to note that rainforests, they're often talked about as being the lungs of the earth, and they inhale the CO2 and they breathe out oxygen, but generally speaking, they actually work out at about carbon neutral. Carbon is fixed as trees grow, is released when they die, and... The carbon that they inhale for photosynthesis is exhaled when they're respiring overnight when there's no sun to photosynthesize with. They do have a great number of other ecological importances. They're great reservoirs of biodiversity. Because rainforest soil is very thin, deforestation can lead to massive flooding, massive mudslides.
0: Even more water leading to even more environmental All
1: sorts of chaos. Don't cut down rainforests, they're nice.
0: Taylor spent four years synthesizing data on temperature, rainfall, tree growth, and soil composition from rainforests in 42 countries, which he believes is the largest pan-tropical database to date. And I'd be surprised if he was wrong, because that is a lot
1: lot of data. data.
0: And according to this research, published April 17th in Ecology Letters, the old model of forests not coping with high levels of water just straight up doesn't apply for warm tropical forests. The higher the temperature, anything over about 68 degrees Fahrenheit.
1: Yeah, it's about 20 C. So this is focusing on tropical forests, where former data probably focused on subtropical forests, which I don't think there's actually that many rainforests in subtropical regions. As far as I'm aware, the next biggest patch of rainforest is around Alaska and Washington and is temperate.
0: It's probably some guy who went to the Forest of Dean and thought, yeah, trees, forests, this'll do.
1: <laughs> it rains some but it's not a rainforest it doesn't rain that much in gloucestershire
0: but speaking more on the study taylor notes that a lot of climate change is happening at a pace far quicker than what our study speaks to and what we're what he's dealing with is what forests can recover and be capable of over a scale of hundreds of years
1: one of the effects of the climate change that's currently happening for example in the amazon the that really really big rainforest that there is I've heard is of it actually causing drought which obviously is having the opposite effect
0: but with regards to challenging received wisdom and coming up with better means of collecting data and making a better view of the world going forwards from that as is the scientific method taylor concludes this press release with our findings fundamentally change a view of tropical forest carbon cycle that has been published in textbooks and incorporated into models of future climate change for years given how much these forests matter to the climate These new relationships need to be a part of future climate assessments. So hey, actually doing a proper science. Although depending on where in the world you're listening to this, someone might be doing a science to you right now.
1: It's very, very far away though, so they can't see exactly what you're doing. So don't panic.
0: Spooky science at a distance?
1: I mean, spooky in as much as taking pictures of people without them knowing it, but it is from a satellite.
0: Well, let's... Get on with some of the details for this long-distance looking in a special issue on forecasting in peace research of the Journal of Peace Research, which did you know was a thing?
1: I didn't, but I'm delighted it is.
0: It's good to know that's in the world. Uh, Apparently you can estimate a region's wealth from outer space.
1: And this has been established before, looking at large geographic units such as countries. This particular research has been looking at smaller geographic units such as villages and towns.
0: Now the way they're going about this is using satellite data on nighttime light emissions as a data source, and they're scaling it to the Prosperity Index as set out by the Demographic and Health Survey.
1: The Demographic and Health Survey collects, among other things, information on economic prosperity, development, population, and by comparing the typical wealth of a city, with those data sets the researchers have found a very strong correlation and can reliably predict the wealth of other settlements which might be more difficult to collect survey data on for you know multiple reasons but the one that's mentioned is ongoing war quite difficult to go around and take questionnaires if you might get bombed
0: a little bit so the scale they're putting to This prosperity index is 1 being poor and 5 being rich. And they give the example of the Pakistani city of Hyderabad, with the highest light emission within the city, at a value of 4.54 on the prosperity index, and a poor region, a wealth index of 1.82, emitting almost no light. Which Um. makes sense if you're looking at regions where there is unequal distribution of wealth and also an equal distribution of resources, then yeah, having lights on at night might not be achievable for people who can't afford it, so.
1: And this obviously is scaled to the regions they're doing it in, and also they acknowledge that it's not going to work as well, for example, in North and Western Europe, where basically everyone can afford to keep the lights on until they go to bed.
0: Having the consistent infrastructure to manage that as well. But I wonder if it takes into any account the regions in the world which are encouraging their citizens to turn off their lights at night to be recognised as dark sky sites for any astrologists working nearby.
1: I would assume if you have the infrastructure to have built an observatory, then you've probably got the political stability and general wealth for it to not be necessarily relevant to this research.
0: Also, the observatory might see you looking back. Before we descend into a conspiracy circle, maybe we should just take some time out with a healthy snack.
1: And the best way to keep your diet in line with government guidelines and cheaply is to cook at home.
0: I know this is a podcast, but hands up who knew that.
1: Yeah, it's sensible, and I'm fairly sure the research has been done before, but it might not necessarily have been carried out in exactly the way it has here, or in the same place. This is specifically looking at the US.
0: The study by Apita Tiwari, a health systems researcher at Oregon State, working with collaborators from University of Washington, confirms what many mothers and grandmothers have said for decades. And sure, we should be... As I've said, testing perceived wisdom, but buying food and cooking it will be cheaper, and you'll be more involved in the nutritional process and ingredients. And
1: Well, and also food that you've eaten now, especially fast food, is often packed with extraneous ingredients. And the study does absolutely acknowledge that there are very good reasons why not everyone can cook at home. The example they've used is a mother who has two jobs and four children, and...
0: Even if you know the value of that meal, do you have the time?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, if you're having to work two jobs to support your family, you're kind of at a disadvantage to start with.
0: And yet, according to this press release, 80% of US residents fail to meet at least some of the federal dietary guidelines. About half of the money spent on eating in the US is on food not cooked at home.
1: I think it would be interesting to see those statistics contrasted with somewhere like India, where home-cooked food is so important that instead of buying something ready-made from a shop for your lunch, you pay for a man to come round on a bike with something that has been cooked in a home kitchen. Yeah, lots of the fast food brands have been having trouble trying to break into the Indian market, and that's probably for the best.
0: Well, on to our next study, which I feel might be very pointed at me, so do you want to take the lead on this one
1: now the headline of this study is testosterone makes men less likely to question their impulses with the subtitle sex hormone connected with greater reliance on gut instincts and less self-reflection the study has found that men who were given a dose of testosterone before taking a maths test and a cognitive reflection test are less likely to think through their answers, are likely to be more confident in their wrong answers and, I mean in case you didn't know listeners, if you if you haven't met Will or seen pictures of him he is a visibly high testosterone man Hello He's deeply hairy
0: I'm uncomfortable with the use of the word deeply there <laughs>
1: You're not the most impulsive man I know, but you are the most impulsive neurotypical man I know.
0: Well, when do you put it like that?
1: (laughs) And it seems you're not alone.
0: Oh, good. I mean, it does explain a lot about the rest of the world, doesn't it? That these high testosterone alpha males that are held up as role models examples given in the paper are hot-headed cops who shoot first and ask questions later and western cowboys and like i mean yeah they're impulsive but they they aren't always very good people
1: well not necessarily obviously tv characters tend to be exaggerations but the study very specifically found having tested groups of men some of whom were given a testosterone gel, some of whom were given a placebo. The control group took more time over the test in general, gave more correct answers, while the testosterone group, on average, answered 20% fewer questions correctly and took longer to arrive at the answers for the questions they did get right.
0: And Colin Kamura, the Robert Kirby Professor of Behavioural Economics, says that we think it works through confident enhancement. If you're more confident, you'll likely feel that you're right and not have enough self-doubt to correct mistakes.
1: He also mentions the results raise questions about the potential negative effects of the growing testosterone replacement therapy industry, primarily aimed at reversing the decline in sex drive that many men experience in older age. I think this fits in quite nicely. There's people questioning whether HRT for menopausal women is actually good for us.
0: Although the sudden realisation that vast populations of old men going with their gut and believing they're right despite evidence in front of them I mean, there's enough of that.
1: There is, yeah.
0: We don't need any more of them. We need fewer of them.
1: And, you know, if you happen to be someone who is taking testosterone for, or is about to start taking testosterone for gender affirmation reasons good luck Take your time.
0: And if you feel yourself becoming very confident, just go back to this test and try some of the math problems they set out. Because I, I admit I made a mistake going through it the first time, thinking, yep, that's the answer. Wait, no, they're saying it's not. I I rushed in. <laughs> headlong. <laughs> and now I know why. <laughs> I rushed into many things headlong, and now I know why.
1: I mean, it's probably not the only reason. I mean, Yeah,
0: now it is. And if you are listening to this thinking, I mean, that's all a bunch of hooey, surely. Well, you're in luck because the latest from the University of Illinois at Chicago says that the state of social personality psychological research is, is actually doing okay.
1: There has been a certain amount of discourse about the state of studies done in this field. Are they replicable? Are they... Rigorous enough.
0: I mean, we were talking about them just last episode how psychology studies were being either not encouraging or actively dissuasive of replication studies.
1: But, after two studies examining how practices have changed since this became a discussion topic within the field, and have found that it's people are making improvements. Progress is being made.
0: Hmm. In the first study, the UIC researchers surveyed over 1,100 social and personality psychologists from the three largest professional organizations, the Society for Personality and Social Psychology, the European Society for Social Psychology, and the Society for Australasian Social Psychologists, to ask about how the current discourse, putting it kindly, has affected their perceptions of their own research practices and the wider field as well.
1: And also how it's affected, which research practices they will choose to use or stop using. And rigour and scientific technique that's being used does seem to be moving towards better research practices wherever possible. Although it's interesting to note that the perception of how well it's going among psychologists in the field, they're still feeling quite pessimistic about it. Which, I mean, we don't want them to get overconfident.
0: Although if the men are, then we might have an answer as to why. (laughs) And then in the second study, a random selection of 30% of all articles published in the four leading journals, Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin, the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, and Psychological Science. It's a good thing I don't have a lisp. The UIC investigators were manually coding the research practices, so rather than asking the people for their practices directly, they were going through what was reported and sorting out what was happening, how often it was being done.
1: And they were looking at these journals in periods from 2003 to 2004 and 2013 to 2014, so that's about 10 years apart, studies from before this became a discussion topic and after this became a discussion topic within the field.
0: And again, no sign of things getting worse. A slight bias to publishing significant results, but no evidence of researcher misconduct, according to Matt Motel of UIC.
1: Speaking of psychology being used for good and/or evil. Actually, evil's probably putting it a bit strongly.
0: Not evil, just
1: just being misused.
0: A downside.
1: Teenagers can become disruptive if teachers use psychological pressure.
0: And this won't come as a surprise to anyone who has been a teenager, or has been a teacher, because this is something that I tried using once in a classroom that I was teaching, and it did not go well, and I regret it to this day. That psychological pressure from teachers can contribute to disengagement among teenage pupils under 14 when you use things like threats of punishment, controlling language, You wind up with students, at least students from the three secondary schools in Kent that this study was performed in, who feel incapable of being successful, reporting less energy in class, and felt forced to participate, either actively or passively.
1: Seems like these sort of techniques teachers will employ them with the good intent of engaging their students more, and it actually has the opposite effect.
0: And you can read more about this in the journal Learning and Instruction from Stephen Earle and Ian Taylor from University of Kent and Loughborough University. You know what else won't be surprising? Cigarettes burn. Cigarette burns.
1: Cigarette burns from e-cigarettes. Slightly more
0: surprising, but not entirely when you think that the two main components to an e-cigarette device are a heated coil and a battery. And you know what's been making lots of headlines in the last year or so for being really poorly maintained and manufactured?
1: Oh, is it those those phone batteries that explode on people?
0: Yeah, and other things as well, like Apple iWatches coming apart because their batteries are swelling.
1: And indeed, Dr. Gary Verkroyce and his colleagues have noticed in about the past year and a half, they have had considerably more burns arriving in their AR department.
0: Lots of burns to the thighs and... The rears, right about where pockets are.
1: Just about where pockets are. Verkreis reports, After the first three presenting with severe burns to their thighs and buttocks, he started asking those patients and ones with similar wounds how the burns happened. They all told me basically the same thing, he says. They had an electronic cigarette in their pocket, then they started feeling a lot of heat in their pocket, and they couldn't get their pants off or get the device out of their pocket quickly enough.
0: And apparently there's been no medical literature published about this before, which does make sense because they are quite new devices, and I do worry that a lot of them are being produced in less than stringent uh, production protocols.
1: There are e-cigarettes being sold everywhere, some of them very, very cheaply. So, yeah, it's a reason for concern. Especially if you've taken up an e-cigarette on the grounds that'll do less damage to you than regular cigarettes.
0: But compared to the damage from cigarettes, Dr. Vercois notes that since then, we've seen several patients and only one hasn't gotten a skin graft.
1: Which is horrifying. Skin grafts means you've done hella damage.
0: Now, the lithium-ion batteries that make up these... Uh, devices. The paper describes a thermal runaway caused by thermal, mechanical, or electrical damage to the battery. No matter the cause of the damage to the battery, once it is damaged, the battery's internal temperature can rise uncontrollably. And once the internal temperature rises, the heated lithium vaporizes, decompresses, releases gaseous lithium within the battery, increasing the internal pressure, and that can cause the electrolytic component to ignite, resulting in a fire.
1: So, add this to the long list of all those sweet flavours turned to formaldehyde. Leaving your nicotine liquids out and about can lead to your children consuming them and being very ill. And the fact that it's often kind of obnoxious. And maybe just consider if it's helping.
0: Light bad. Matches bad. Turns out Plastic Box, also capable of making fire.
1: Plastic Box with battery in. capable of making fire.
0: What a world we live in. Now, we were talking about testosterone earlier. We were. Let's circle back around. Not about beards this time, but fingers. With the curiously titled paper, what else can fingers tell us?
1: And obviously, the immediate answer to this is, well... How much sign language do you speak? Because fingers can tell you a lot in sign language.
0: By looking at them, you can tell the state of someone's personal hygiene, if they are a lifelong smoker.
1: Apparently you can also, if you're specifically looking at men, predict their level of education based on the length of their fingers.
0: And this is published in the journal Personality and Individual Differences, which again is an interesting journal that I didn't know about. But by looking at the 2D-4D ratio, that is the index finger and ring finger length, apparently you can determine how much time men have spent in education. Although there seems to be no correlation found for women, the researchers note.
1: Now the assumption is that the 2D-4D ratio is determined by perinatal testosterone exposure, which is also why you'll hear kids... Telling each other in the playground, if your ring finger is the same length as your index finger, that means you're a lesbian. Um, But not everyone agrees that perinatal testosterone exposure is related to that. And not everyone agrees that perinatal testosterone exposure actually has any effect on your sexual orientation.
0: Might have some influence on any poor decisions you make as a foetus.
1: But apparently, whatever it is that does determine the 2D-4D ratio does, in men at least, have some correlation with how much school you get through.
0: And that's not just because when you go to a place of higher education, they start stretching out your fingers. Is that just me?
1: I think that might just be you. They never stretched our fingers in the journalism department.
0: Do they stretch your minds?
1: Yes. Sometimes squash them.
0: The researchers do note that the mechanism behind this established association may also involve aggression, possibly coming back to testosterone again. A negative correlation between 2D40 and male aggression has been established in literature, while some studies associate different levels of aggression with low academic performance, particularly in secondary school.
1: I mean if when the testosterone turns on and you go a bit mad in the way that teenage boys do...
0: Making some poor choices.
1: ...you get kicked out of school, you're unlikely to then continue on to higher education. It puts some barriers to entry. I don't know the exact numbers because I'm dredging this up from uh, AS-level psychology that I did many years ago. Men who have 1X and 2Y chromosomes... Because this seems to have a direct impact on their levels of testosterone, are likely to be very aggressive, and most of them end up in prison at some time or another.
0: So, testosterone. Fingers and mistakes. Well, let's keep rolling on our testosterone-themed train, which is not the kind of train I would like to be aboard. It might be the kind of train I would like to be aboard, but on to... A case of possibly one of the brawniest famous people in the whole wide world. If I say big, strong, burly man, who comes to your mind?
1: There's a few to choose from. Have we got, like, a, a time period for big, strong, burly men?
0: 80s Herculean.
1: It's got to be Schwarzenegger, right? He was Mr. Universe. He's the biggest man.
0: He was. Out of all the men they measured, they got their tapes out and they said, this man is the biggest man.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's why they put him in the movies.
0: As well as being the biggest man, he's also now lending his name to a tiny plant.
1: Oh, that's nice.
0: Not even the tiniest plant. The tiniest one, think of maybe like in the 80s, the smallest man.
1: The smallest man in the 80s. Might he have starred with Arnold Schwarzenegger in a movie or two?
0: Movie or two. Uh, Yeah, I think there's some overlap.
1: Might it be everyone's favourite DeVito?
0: Two cases of plants from the genus of Australian pea flowers, Daviciae, are taking their names to be Davicia Schwarzenegger and Davicia devita.
1: They are among 131 subspecies that uh, Emeritus Professor Mike Crisp and his Australian National University colleagues have identified. And they've chosen these names because one of them is much bigger and more robust than the other. But they're very closely related.
0: And if you're thinking... 1988 movie Twins, you're thinking along the same lines as Professor Crisp. So well done, you. It's clearly a good line of thought to be on. And he says, We discover early on in the movie that an embryo splits in two, but it doesn't split equally. All the purity and strength went into Schwarzenegger's character Julius, while the dregs went into Vincent DeVito's character. Which seems like a, a fair summary. That's of an IMDb quality. Well done, Professor Crisp. But he continues that, We also wish to honour Arnold Schwarzenegger's leadership as a governor of California in pioneering the reduction of carbon emissions, and for advising the Australian government to do the same.
1: These are both species that are at risk of extinction. As far as they can tell, they're confined to scraps of bushland in amongst a lot of land that's been cleared for wheat farming, and that's unfortunate because the pea family in general are nitrogen fixers, which enriches the soil they live in useful in the mali region of southeastern australia where they're found because the soil does tend to be very thin
0: and if you're thinking 1988 that's a long time ago well that's nothing to how long the team have been working on this the monograph published this month in phytotaxa took 40 years to produce but professor crisp says it contributes to the huge ongoing task of documenting biodiversity globally. So as long as they've estimated the ranges for these plants accurately, and we're not misguessing there again...
1: Well, perhaps that other team will have to have a look into it.
0: As long as we can take some of the credit for when we get published. And we mentioned briefly psychology and education earlier, so let's circle back to that again. With differing cognitive skills across cultures, and across generations, and across the world, comparing the performance of children and their parents in England and Hong Kong.
1: A study from the University of Cambridge had 1,428 children and parents from Hong Kong and the UK complete four tasks designed to measure executive function skills. Results revealed, on average, children in Hong Kong had higher executive function than their peers in the UK. For example, the average 10-year-old in Hong Kong was about two years ahead of the kids in the UK.
0: For their parents, however, there seems to be no difference, which makes me wonder if there's some hangover there from the English colonial rule of Hong Kong, which would have been happening around their parents' time in education if they were being taught under the same structures.
1: Or, it may be, as the researchers suggest, just something that disappears with age. They haven't investigated that part yet, but they did find that there was a modest correlation between the scores of parents and children with parents showing high executive function being more likely to have children who also show high performance in those areas so sorry future children for me I guess
0: if they take some executive function from you and some testosterone driven calamity from me then it'll be fine
1: It'll be fine. It'll,
0: trust me, I'm clearly capable of making excellent judgement scores. Usually. But the researchers Michelle Ellison and Claire Hughes from the University of Cambridge have published these results in Psychological Science, and Hughes says, this is our first paper together, and it shows the value of developmental psychologists getting out of their age bunkers to look at topics from a broader perspective. And speaking of bunkers, you might be thinking of those as a place you can go and hide out if something's out to get you. If you need to hunker down somewhere safe, a bunker's one way of doing it. Camouflage is another great way of escaping whatever's after you.
1: And the phenomenon of species evolving color patterns that help them blend into their surroundings to avoid predators is known as crypsis. As far as the evolutionary biologists are concerned, it's random mutations in color patterns which blend you in better being selected
0: for. So if you're looking as say a lion might at a huge mass of stripey zebra butts thinking if I want to go for one of these I have to oh there's how there's a hmm. oh there's oh, there's quite quite a lot but if you are a sand crab
1: it appears that that evolutionary pressure may be influenced by your own personal choices
0: according to biologists at the University of Miami crabs with a dark coloration choose dark sand and crabs with light coloration choose light sand to hide in crabs of intermediate colour show no specific choice as they don't match either sand, but from Dr. Floria Oi, in nature it is common to see animals match their background, but in many cases we don't know if this is through active choice, changing colour, or a combination of the two. Our study, published in Biotropica, shows that these crabs are actively choosing to match their sound background, which is I suppose what everyone thinks chameleons do, except instead of actively changing themselves they are changing their environment.
1: Yeah, it's kind of back to front what the colour changing rays do when you lay a, a chessboard underneath them and they change colour. Instead the crabs are seeking out the background that matches them best for, apparently their permanent home.
0: And then one last story for you. Unfortunately this one is a bit of a worry. I mean, it's, it's about worrying. It's apparently an upside to worrying. Quoting Kate Sweeney, psychology professor at the University of California at Riverside, despite its negative reputation, not all worry is destructive or even futile. It has motivational benefits and can act as an emotional buffer.
1: She's interesting that this is being presented as new research, because when I took my first group CBT course through the NHS six years ago, five years ago, that was mentioned in the very first lesson, that there is... Worry that isn't useful, which is worrying about things you can't help, like what if someone drives into me while I'm on my way to work? And there is useful worry, like what if I don't have enough chairs for everybody at Christmas dinner? Oh, I should go buy a new chair.
0: I mean, it's good to know that they were right, I guess. This is backing up again something that a lot of people seem to have known for some time, like the Mothers and grandmothers who told you to cook at home, yeah, they say as much. Worry can be a motivator. It's a cue that a situation is serious and requires action, that it keeps it at the front of your mind and prompts action towards resolution, and it can spur you to find ways of reducing that worry, or it can be a buffer to a scary future. So, well done to your CBT teachers, I guess?
1: I mean, I really hope they'd based those suggestions on research that already existed. I really do. I mean, I know they weren't, like, clinicians on that first course. It was a volunteer-based thing. But you had to have training before they put you in front of a group of people.
0: Well, if we've learned anything about the state of psychology over the last few weeks, it's, it's a mixed bag. But that's just about all we've got time for this week. So... Maybe one or two quick stories just to tide you over till we catch you next time. Like, the media portrayal of public shooters can perpetuate stereotypes.
1: Or, in other words, saying that public shooters are mentally ill creates stigma against mentally ill people, which mentally ill people have been telling you for years.
0: Or, that people who drive in street races are five times more likely to crash.
1: And not just within the street races. Who knows if this is a symptom of overall tendencies towards reckless behaviour or what?
0: Maybe they just have a lot of testosterone. Maybe. But for now that'll have to be your fortnight in science. If you do want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook or Tumblr as Eureka Nerd. You can find us at eureka dot com or send a word our way at Eureka Nerdcast on Twitter. Or you can send us an email at eurekanerdcast at gmail dot com.
1: That's eurekanerdcast at gmail dot com. And if you're enjoying the show, sharing us with your friends and leaving reviews on iTunes is a great way to spread the word. We'd be very grateful.
0: Until next time, that's bye-bye from me.
1: And goodbye from me. Tiny man Danny Danny DeVito.
0: Danny DeVito, exactly. (laughs) Meaty, Meaty DeVito, as Meaty they call him.
1: Divi-
0: Manny DeVito Divi- Mi- De is going to be my... Manny
1: MeVito. Manny MeDito.
0: I'm going to make a D&D character called Manny DeVito. Do it. He's going to be a butcher. I'll go to DeMito's. Home the meat. Manny DeMito.
1: Anyway.
0: Stripey zebra butts.